Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. We've got a lot of great interviews to get to, so let's get right to it. We're going to talk to the two main eventers for this weekend. We've got Bilal Muhammad taking the fight on short notice against Leon Edwards. Muhammad trying to establish himself as a contender. He's had a sneaky eight of nine fights. One, the same as his opponent, Leon Edwards. I learned that from talking to him. I thought it was seven of eight. It's eight of nine. I got to do better research when I'm talking to my guests. But Leon, uh, Leon, certainly a tough ask on short notice for Bilal Muhammad. We'll see if he can get it done, and we'll talk to both of those folks on the show today. And we've also got a pair of Canadians joining me. Charles Jordan, one of my favorite guys to talk to in all of MMA. Just such an honest guy, uh, upbeat, always has a great demeanor, and uh, really enjoyed speaking with him again this week as he takes on uh, his opponent, Mar- Marcelo Ro- Rojo uh, of Argentina. Uh, that should be an interesting one. Uh, an opponent that is new to the UFC, and he's taking the fight on pretty short notice. So looking forward to seeing his debut and also seeing Charles Jordan try to win as a, a pretty sizable favorite. You know, last fight against Josh Kulabau was a very big favorite, ended up in a draw. He's looking to erase that from uh, the memory of the mixed martial arts community and get a dominant win this time around against Rojo. And you've got Misha Serkinov, the highest-ranked Canadian in the UFC in the light heavyweight division. He's going to be taking on Ryan Spann, an opponent he was supposed to be facing late last year. He ended up getting injured. Fight got postponed, and here we are. They're going to be facing off. We've got three Canadians on the card. Gavin Tucker also on the card. A big week for Canadian MMA. You've got the three Canadians on the UFC card that I just mentioned. You've got Aaron Jeffrey, uh, Jasmine Jassudavicius, among some of the Canadians that are competing at uh, this week's CFFC card that you can watch on Friday night on uh, UFC Fight Pass. And you've got Rise FC. With their first event, I think it's the first regional event in Canada since the pandemic. So over a year, there hasn't really been any regional MMA in Canada. This is taking place in British Columbia, headlined by former UFC middleweight Elias Theodoru and uh, another former middleweight Matt Dwyer. Uh, that should be very interesting to see what happens there. And uh, great to see regional mixed martial arts coming back in Canada. You've got another one. Battlefield is coming back next week uh, with an event. Uh, also taking place uh, in Western Canada. And that's also going to be on Fight Pass. That's next week. So Canadian MMA right now is uh, we're having a little bit of a a resurrection of uh, Canadian talent and Canadian uh, mixed martial arts this time around. So uh, exciting to see. You've also got three Canadians competing at the next pay-per-view. So very exciting to see things happening on the Canadian scene. And my final guest this week will be Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA. The reason why I wanted to talk to Sean was because I had scored... The first three rounds of last weekend's main event between Israel Adesanya and um, the champion Jan Boahovic. I scored the first three rounds for Israel, and a lot of people uh, were on me for that. And I wanted to find out why. You know, why did what did I do that? Um, what was I seeing that made me think that he was winning the fight? What about the judging criteria says that he didn't win the fight? And Sean is very, very well versed when it comes to judging in mixed martial arts uh so i posted a nine minute video on my uh twitter if you watch that you got kind of a gist of it but this is a a longer more drawn out conversation it's 20 plus minutes uh we'll put that at the end of the show for those that really want to get into the uh, inside baseball of mixed martial arts and and judging in particular it was great to uh sit with sean and, and pick his brain on the subject and you know, I, I saw that uh, people were upset about my scorecard, and I didn't want to react. I didn't want to have a knee-jerk reaction. I wanted to take a step back and, and do a couple of things before I determined 
whether I was way off base or not. So uh, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I got a little bit more educated in terms of mixed martial arts judging. And, uh, you know, before events going forward, I really want to go back and watch Sean's video or at least read the criteria just so I have that in my mind when I am judging these fights. Um, you know, sometimes we see things differently. Sometimes we feel like certain strikes uh, have more emphasis than others. Uh, for example, I, I tend to have a bit of a bias towards leg kicks because uh, myself and Bazooka Joe Valtellini, my co-host, are always discussing leg kicks. So uh, I think that that might have been something that biased me in that regard. So you'll uh, hopefully enjoy that conversation and be enlightened a little bit about this scoring criteria, what people aren't seeing when it comes to the scoring criteria uh, in mixed martial arts. Was very excited to speak with Sean about that. So here come those interviews. We'll start with Leon Edwards, followed by Bilal Mohammed, Misha Surkinov, Charles Jordan, and Sean Sheehan. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to hear the full recap of UFC 259, myself and Bazooka Joe will be launching our podcast, or I guess uploading our podcast tomorrow, where we kind of unpack that pay-per-view. But first, here's our interview with Leon Edwards, who is in the main event this weekend against Bilal Mohammed. He's on the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. He is Leon Rocky Edwards. And Rocky is a very good description of your last year and a half, my friend. And it's nice to see you uh, finally get an opponent uh, for this weekend's card against Bilal Muhammad, a, a very, very game opponent. What do you think of Bilal as an opponent and, and how you match up against him? Um, Bilal's a great opponent. He's a great contender. Um, he's tough. He's durable. It's going to be an entertaining fight. I think stylistically he's a perfect fight um, for me and... I'm looking forward to going out there and performing. It's been a long time. I've been off for over a year. And to come back against a guy like Bilal Mohammed, uh, I am looking forward to it. And I, I cannot wait. Now you were adamant about staying on this card. So when Hamza Shumaya fell off the card, did you call your, uh, your manager and say, here's a list of people that aren't booked right now. This is the order of which I want them in. Or was it just like, find me an opponent, call me, and I'll take whoever? Basically, that's what that, that's what it was. Um, Hamzat pulled out. I was happy at the UFC. Wanted to keep me in the card. You know, they, they didn't want to reschedule it again. So I was like, okay, let's go down the list. The first option was Corbin Covington. Um, he went running and we went down the list. And Bilal Muhammad stepped up. So this is what the sport was built on. Guys fight each other, right? And number one should fight number two. Number three should fight number four. But um, So I'm happy that Bilal stepped up. He's the, the, the opponent we got. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, we're looking at uh, a title fight later this year, it looks like, between Kamaru Usman and uh, Jorge Masvidal. Uh, now, you talk about the rankings and, and who should be next in line and all of that. Jorge lost that first fight pretty handily, and I, haven't, I can't remember the last time we saw a challenger lose a title fight and then get an immediate title shot in their next fight. I mean, I'm thinking of Lyoto Machida against Shogun Hua as an yeah. example, and a lot of people thought Hua won that fight. So, uh, you know, when you see that, does that, uh, are you discouraged by that at all? Um, it's frustrating. Like you said, the guy went out there, got dominated for five rounds, and he, he, he's probably going to get the next title shot, you know. I'm, I'm here grinding my way back up. Um, I'm on an eight-five win streak. After being Bilal Muhammad, he's been nine-five win streak. So it's a frustrating time, but I'm just focusing on doing what I need to do come Saturday night. Um, after that, I will talk to the UFC. Um, they'll see where we'll go from then, but I believe I deserve the next title shot. So that doesn't end up being the plan. I know you've said you don't want to, to sit around. You want to stay busy. Uh, there's two people that I think make sense for you as an opponent, maybe even three if you, you bring Michael Chiesa into it, but Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington are the two that really stand out to me. Uh, do you have a preference between either of those guys? Um, not really. Either, really. I prefer Colby Covington. 
he's the one that's been talking a lot of shit on my name, so he's probably the one that will be a great opponent. Um, but with, with him, you cannot, you never know what, what he's going to do, you know. So, uh, like I said, I'm willing to fight. I've proven time and time again that I'm willing to fight. So, um, we'll see after this fight. Well, he hasn't been talking about your name. He's been talking about a name that he made up for you. Uh, that made I, up, I, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't understand what, where, where it comes from or what the uh, humor know. involved in it is. Have you have, do you have any idea what he's talking about? I, I, I haven't got a clue. I'm, uh, just a weird man. And I, I don't know. I don't have a clue. <laughs> so when you hear him say Leon Scott, do you take that as an, as an insult to your last name? Or are you just thinking this guy's a joker and I, I don't know where he's coming up with this? This guy is, this guy is, a, is a fool. You know, he's a, he's a clown and that's just, this is what he is. Have you had any interactions previously with Bilal Muhammad in terms of, uh, you know, have you run into him at any events? I know that he is uh, not a guy that really has been in the top 10 uh, before, but yeah. what, do, what do you know of him? And, and do you know um, any, anything I, about him as a person? I've seen him, in, I haven't seen him around. I've met him in person, but I've seen him compete before. Um, obviously, he wasn't on the radar at the time, but I keep my eye on everyone in the division. Um, but now we've got um, the opponent booked. We went, we looked at his, his, his fights, um, researched him, and he's a good, solid opponent. Um, he's probably come to wrestle, and I am looking forward to the fight. I think all these guys in top five, top 15, really, is similar stylistic matchups. They're, they're probably going to come and wrestle, right? So um, you can swap one in, put, put, put another one in, and you probably have the same similar game plan um, working around him. Now, you're supposed to go to a press conference last week. I'm sure you look at your phone and the name Tim Simpson comes up and you're, you're worried about what's going to be said. Uh, when he says yeah. Bilal's not going to the press conference, were you worried the fight was off at any point in time? Or did, did yeah. Tim start the conversation by saying, listen, everything's okay, but... And how did that, co that conversation go? I'm yeah, very curious. Yeah, he did for sure, 100%. Seeing the phone, was like, it's okay, but the fight's off. Not the fight's off, the, the press conference is off. I was like, what? Why? What's going on? He's like, oh, something to do. Bilal's coach had COVID or something like that. Um, I was like, yeah, what's going on with Bilal? He's like, nah, he's 100% he's fine. He had it before and it should be good. So I'm happy that I'm keeping my fingers crossed that from now till Saturday, nothing happens um, to, to, to the fight and I can get to go out there and perform. Yeah, I was going to say, now that you're in Vegas and it's during fight week, does it still feel real yet? Like, does it feel like you do have a fight coming up and are you worried? Like, yeah. do, you, do you carry nerves with you that something could go wrong? Um, it feels like a, a like a normal fight week to be honest. With you. I, I, I'm not really focused on if the fight's gonna get cancelled with this far in. So, um, I'm keeping like I keep my fingers crossed, and I believe the fight's gonna happen. And I'm looking forward to showing the fans what I've improved on, what um, how different I am as a fighter, and I'm looking forward to it. Now I don't have the card in front of me. About you know, I don't know if there are other welterweight fights on the card, but is there a backup plan that you're aware of? Um, not that I'm aware of, no. So, like I said, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, Leon, and uh, yourself taking on Bilal Muhammad in the main event. Uh, a big fight for you, a big fight for him especially. I mean, when you have that big, that higher number in front of your name, I guess lower number rather, mm -hmm. in front of your name, everybody's looking at you as a target. So for Bilal, I mean, this yeah. is going to be his big opportunity. When, when you look at him as, as a competitor, you see that he's a lower-ranked guy, but you have to take him as seriously as anybody in the top five, I imagine. 100%. I, I am treating this as, as, a, as a title fight. Um, if I go out there now and lose to Bilal Muhammad, all these next fights goes away, right? So I am treating him serious. I've been out for a long time. I'm eager to get back in, in, into the octagon and compete. So um, I'm taking him fully serious, and I cannot wait to go out there and, and compete against him. And one last question for you. How many times, ideally, would you like to compete in 2021? 
Um, ideally, three times would be great. I'd love to get this one out of the way in March and go again in the summer, then probably end of the year. Um, I've been off, like I said, for a long time, so I'm young. I'm 29 years old. I'm not injured or nothing, so I should keep the fight, keep the fights rolling, you know, and just keep keep active. All right. Well, lots of lost time to make up for. It's uh, going to be a pleasure watching you. I thought your last fight against Hopel Dos Angeles was your best to date, and uh, looking forward to seeing what you do this weekend. Thanks for your time. Good man. Thank you. I'm now joined by Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad. He's in the main event this weekend against Leon Edwards. Short notice call against one of the top guys in the welterweight division. How hard is it to not put pressure on yourself to be in the spot? Um, honestly, for me, it's just another day in the office. Like I feel like I was just in Vegas uh, three weeks ago. So uh, I'm very comfortable right now. I'm not putting any pressure. Like It, it just feels normal because for me, I always expected this. I always felt like I belonged here. So it's not like one of those things where – I'm like, oh, man, do I really belong here? Am I able to compete with these guys? I'm a main event. I already know I'm a main event from uh, the day I stepped a foot in the cage. Hey, you've got a very sneaky record. You know, we talk about the guys with the hottest streaks right now in the welterweight division. You've got, of course, your opponent, Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman, the champion. You're seven of your last eight. You kind of snuck up I'm on eight us. Nobody's last, really been paying eight attention. Eight nine. Oh, eight of your last I'm nine. eight of my better. last nine. <laughs> yeah, when you're thinking about it, he's eight of his last nine, too. He's on an eight-fight winning streak. So we're literally neck and neck. Um... And yeah, like I said, this is one of those things. This is my coming out party where people are going to start realizing that there is a contender in this division. There's another guy that Usman needs to face. There's a guy that could challenge him. So um, that's what my goal is for Saturdays to make people open their eyes. Yeah, why do you think you have been slept on? When you, when you look at yourself being eight of the last nine, like you mentioned, uh, where is the love? You know, it's one of those things where it's uh, you. all these guys got big followers. Nowadays, it's guys that need to trash talk their way to the top or do something outlandish, something crazy. Um, for me, I'm just being myself. You know, I got a big loyal following. And, you know, it was one of those things where like, man, how come I'm not getting this? How come I'm not getting this? How come I'm not getting this? But it's like having patience. For me, I know everything. There's a plan for everything. And I was like, just have patience. Stay the route. Um, trust the process. And I knew it was going to end up coming. So after this week, people are going to start realizing, yo, we need to start promoting this guy. He's got a personality. He's got a fight, uh, a fight style that people love, and um, they're going to start pushing me more. One problem that even the champion of your division has faced is when you're a hot fighter that's winning a lot of fights and you don't have a number beside your name, people are worried about taking fights with you. Have you found that to be a problem? Ranked fighters get offered you and they say, nah, that guy's a difficult opponent. He doesn't have a ranking. What's in it for me? Yeah, that, that was my biggest issue. You know, I've, I've been asking for ranked fighters for a while. Every fight I'm asking for a ranked guy, I'm always trying to fight the top guys. And it was like one of those where now with the rankings, you have an excuse like, oh, I don't want to fight below me. I'm only looking up. I'm only looking up. And excuses for guys not to fight. And you forget what you're in this game for. You're in this game to fight. You're a prize fighter. So these guys are sitting there at home, uh, you know, telling their family and stuff. Oh, my, I'm still number ranked five. They're waking up every morning, checking the rankings to make sure that they still have that number next to their name. For me, I want to fight. Like the goal is to be the champion. If you're a champion, you have to be able to beat everybody. So like. If anybody challenges me, I'm going to accept that fight. And that's what these guys are forgetting about. You're forgetting about you're a fighter first. So it ain't all about, you know, I, this doesn't make really that much sense for me. That doesn't make sense for me. In the old days, a guy that's won eight or nine in the UFC, he's going to be a main event regardless with no rankings. You know, uh, rankings don't really mean nothing in fighting. You know, this is one-on-one. -on -one. This is me against him, my will against his will. This, is ain't, this ain't college basketball with rankings where it means something because this teammate, you have a bunch of five or 12 players on the team. And this guy's good, that guy's good, that guy's good. No, this is me against him. It's going to be whose style matches up that, that day. 
Well, one thing that I've noticed from your fighting is you're very consistent. You know, a lot of people, they'll fight up to their competition or fight down to their competition. You tend to fight just as well, regardless of who you're against. Do you feel like when you're in there with a guy like Leon Edwards, you're going to fight up to, hit, up to him, considering he's the higher-ranked fighter, or are you just going to be you? Yeah, honestly, that, that is my big issue sometimes where my coach says, uh, even when we're like training and sparring, I'm like, stop fighting to the level of your competition, stop fighting to the level of competition. But I, I train with some of the best guys in the world. And like you said, now that I'm fighting Leon, now I'm going to prove myself, I'm going to show myself. So that's when this dad will actually help me. So how did this fight come about? I mean, you've got kind of an inside track because your manager, Ali Abdelaziz, also manages Shemaev. So I think he probably knew ahead of time that Shemaev was going to have to pull out. Did he lobby for you right off the bat? Because the welterweight division doesn't have a lot of, I guess, people that are able to fight right now due to injuries or matchups or any of those circumstances. Man, it was one. He, he was actually pulled out before uh, I fought my last fight. And it was one of those where I thought they were going to do Kobe against him because I, I remember them talking about it. So that's why I didn't call him out after the fight. But if I if I knew that Kobe wasn't going to take it, I would have called him out myself. But, uh, yeah, I was just sitting home a couple of days after my fight with Diego Lima, relaxing. You know, you have your high of a, a win, and after a couple of days, you lose that high. And you're like, I'm hungry for more. You know, I'm addicted to winning. So I'm sitting there like, man, who's next? Who are they going to give me next? Um, I want to fight again right away. I want to go back to the gym right away. My coach is like, nah, chill at home. Relax in the couch a little bit. Then all of a sudden, I got that call from Ali. And, you know, when he calls, I know something's up, like there's something going to happen because he called me the day before just asking how I am, how I'm feeling, you know, after when normal things. But when he calls you again, you're like, all right, now it's something. And then I was like, oh, I hope it's a fight. And then uh, he called me, he said, how you feeling? Are you good to fight Leon? And right away, I'm like, yep. He's like, you want to talk to your coach? So I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Let's go. Speaking of your coaches, Lewis Taylor, your main coach, is uh, unfortunately seemingly not going to be in your corner this Saturday. I don't know if anything has changed in that regard. Uh, safe Saud apparently he's going to be stepping in. Are you prepared to get yelled at between rounds for, for more rounds than you're used to? Because we got, we've got a five-round main event here. <laughs> yeah, you know, Safe's, Safe's amazing. You know, I feel like it's a good replacement. Um, man, we train with him. Lou met him. Lou, Lou loves him. So we have, a, we have a connection. You know, sometimes when you meet a guy, you just have a connection with that person. And even before he was even in my corner, like he left me a voicemail before this fight and uh, was like, Get off Twitter. Yeah, okay, people are hyping you up. Like, oh, you're, you're a beast for stepping in. That don't mean nothing. We're here to win this fight. All those people can praise you, but we ain't here for the praise. We're here to win. And I literally, like, listen to that voicemail every day, and I'm like, dude, it's going to be amazing to have him in the corner. I feel like he could make me run through a wall. Like, it, you know, in the right circumstance, he gets in someone's face, and he can, he's, he's just great at that. I think in, in terms of in-between round um, advice, he knows how to, A, read how his fighter is feeling at that time. When I say that he yells, it's not every single time i mean the, the guy just knows circumstances and knows how to motivate fighters yeah and especially in a five-round fight where this is going to be a dog fight it's going to be one of those where it's going to be a battle of wills and he's going to be one of those guys that's going to know the right thing to say sometimes it ain't about uh do this technique or that technique sometimes it's about yo punch the motherfucker in the chest or something like that and he's that type of coach that's going to do that and get you hyped up get your blood going yeah we saw it with uh, kennedy and zechiku this past weekend uh, how he was able to really motivate him between rounds, you know, and Zajaku was almost, uh, he almost lost in the first round. He was, he was really taking uh, a beating and hung in there and then came back in the second round. His opponent was exhausted, was able to get, get it done. But I think that Safe's advice was really what kept him grounded during a really tough situation. Yeah, exactly. And especially in those tough times when like you're losing a fight or something like that, he's not one of those guys going to give in or give up or like, 
be down about it. He's he, he's gonna know. He's gonna push you to the very end until that last bell rings. He's gonna be pushing it. And even with training with them, you're like you go to his practices. Go, Why are you guys smiling for? This is train. This is practice. This is MMA. This is fighting. Stop with that freaking smiling. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so how did he? Um, I guess how did you end up calling him, or or how did he find out that uh, you needed a head coach? Basically, how did the whole arrangement come together? Um, it was one of those where we were here last Tuesday in Vegas, ready for the press conference, and then we had to go quarantine, so I brought Lou with me, and then the next morning we found out Lou was out, and I was like, oh, man, crazy. So then, uh, you know, I'm wondering, like I said, uh, he's one of those guys that I'll talk to and I'll ask for advice, Coach Safe. So, like, we were already talking about that, and then I knew that he was going to be on this card already. So uh, instead of taking another chance with flying somebody outside, I'm like, no, he's a perfect replacement for him and uh he's a great step in so like we all talked about it my coaches even lou is like perfect that's an excellent guy i'm glad he's gonna be here um and you know i'm just happy that like i don't have to make him leave his gym or leave his family or anything like that he was gonna be out here anyway so it makes perfect sense so in terms of uh yourself how close were you to lewis in you know in terms of COVID 19 is obviously uh spreads pretty quickly pretty easily um you've got no concerns you've been negative for every single test yeah, yeah, I mean, luckily for me, I, I, had, I just had COVID recently, so uh, I'm hoping I got the antibodies flying around. But uh, yeah, they, they just retested me. I got I was in quarantine again yesterday and uh, came back negative again. So yeah, we're all good to go. I guess it's one of those circumstances where you can say it was actually a, a blessing that you ended up having it beforehand, right? Because you probably have those antibodies floating around. Yeah, that's what I'm telling people now. I'm like telling all my corners, Joe, after this fight, we all got to get coughed on by somebody with COVID just to get it out the way. So next fight, we're good. I wouldn't recommend that. I'm just 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 saying, <laughs> from from me to you, I wouldn't recommend that. Especially when you when you look at what happened to the other, the main event competitor you replaced. It seems like he's having a really difficult time uh, with yeah, the long term impacts. Maybe we we'll just go get a vaccine. Well, that's even better. Yeah, those 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 are definitely becoming more readily available, which is nice. And I know that the UFC is looking to uh, hold events in front of full crowds. So hopefully, uh, you know, these vaccines are distributed quickly it seems like that's the case right now i know my dad was in florida uh where i think he did some of your training camp and they're they're starting to get those uh them into all the different pharmacies and things like that so it's it's nice to see that that's uh starting to take hold of uh, of the country yeah exactly my sister's a pharmacy at her pharmacy right now they're giving out vaccines so uh, i'm just waiting to see make sure that there's no uh other side effects or anything other than i'm gonna go with one and final question, the city of Chicago has never really been a hotbed for MMA training, but it seems like in recent years it's starting to turn the corner. A lot of people are starting to train in Chicago. Uh, how did that happen? How did Chicago start to become a place where uh, a lot of people have taken their training? I know Curtis Blades came from Chicago, and he was training at a UFC gym, like a franchise, uh, a couple of years ago. But it seems like now you can get some good training in Chicago. Yeah, you know, Chicago is one of those cities where a lot of the coaches used to have big egos where it was like they wouldn't allow their, their 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 fighters to train anywhere else. So, like, if you're in part of this gym, you can't go to this gym. It was like kind of like gangs. And I'm like, bro, if you want to be a good fighter, you have to get around. You have to meet new people. Like, all the best fighters can train in one gym. Like, there's not that one big gym. Like, there is in Denver or California or something like that where all the best fighters go to. There's, like, everybody, all these coaches are sitting there like – no, I don't want, I, I, come to my gym. My gym's the best gym. My gym's the best gym. My gym's the best gym. And that's not going to work in MMA. You always got to learn. The best thing about MMA is you can learn from anybody. I can learn from freaking watching a, a movie. And I see a guy do a technique on a movie. And you can pick something up like that. And then that's what I'm telling all these young fighters, man. Like, don't be held down by a coach. Don't be held down by anybody. Uh, go out there. See the world. See different styles. And you can learn from everyone. So now it's starting to pick up now where Chicagoans are like the best athletes starting to train together. And I just hope it keeps picking up that way. 
Well, remember the name's not only a nickname, it's a goal for this weekend. Uh, best of luck in the main event. Big opportunity for you against Leon Edwards. Looking forward to it. Thank you, bro. Misha Zirkinov returns to the cage after about a year and a half away, taking on Ryan Spann. You were originally scheduled to face him late last year, suffered a minor injury, and now you've had the fight rescheduled. Are you glad it's with the same opponent? Yeah, I'm just happy that uh, I'm healthy now and uh, I can I can fight. And Ryan Spann is a great, uh, great fighter and is a great opportunity for me, uh, you know, to highlight my skills and move up the rankings. You guys have very similar skill sets, very strong on the ground, good submissions, uh, solid striking. What do you feel like you do better than him? You know, I never trained with him. I never fought with him. So it's very hard to say. Uh, he's a great athlete. He has many different uh, attributes, great attributes in his game. So we would just have to see. We would have to start fighting, and we're going to kind of like feel each other out, and uh, we're going to see who dominates where. And, uh, yeah, we'll just we'll go from there. You live in Las Vegas. Have you had the chance to go to any of these shows at the Apex over the last little bit and get you know kind of acclimatized to your surroundings? Yes, I've been in Las Vegas for some time now, and I actually had opportunity to uh, to be in uh, Apex and watch some live fights, and it's and it's and it's, it's great. Um, I'm I'm happy that fights are happening, and uh, we can make a living, and we can you know move on forward. Uh, I'm happy that UFC puts on fights, and um, that's why they're number one. When was the last time you fought in anything close to an empty arena? You know, last time when I fought is in an empty arena, it was uh, probably back in uh, my amateur days uh, when I would compete either BJJ or judo or wrestling where the tournament was small and there was not a, not a lot of people. So I guess that was the, the last time. And um, it's actually going to be very interesting to fight without an audience. I believe that uh, I will benefit from that, you know, not hearing um, anyone yelling and I can be in my zone and just concentrate on the fight itself. I think that I think that's going to be a benefit for me. Yeah, I think some people like having the crowd there. You know, I heard an interview with Joe Benavides today where he talked about how he, it's very uncomfortable for him to fight in, in the apex because he's so used to having the fans and feeding off of them. Whereas I think some other fighters like to be in an empty arena or be in an empty venue with no fans and just be able to focus on the fight, be able to hear their corner. Do you feel like you fall into that latter category? You know, I, I believe that I find a category where I come from the judo background and judo is all about respect and bowing. And every time someone competing in judo, the whole crowd is very quiet and then just enjoying the show. And I kind I kind of come from that kind of school and then uh, going into MMA where before you even enter the octagon, you hear people, you know, go wild and crazy. It's just it's a it's a different um, it's a different mindset. And me personally, I like to be in more quieter arena where I can concentrate on a task, because sometimes a crowd can really kind of wild me up every time I see I hear the crowd. You know, a couple of times I remember in the fights I started hitting the crowd and I start pushing the gas. At, at, at unnecessary times sometimes uh, just because the kind of crowd kind of pushes you to do certain things so yeah I believe that uh, just being in your own head you uh, having your own thoughts uh, and uh, being in a quieter arena I think I'm going to benefit 
uh, from it. I think you're gonna you guys are gonna see more of a uh, tactical fight from me. Have you fought in a small cage before? I fought in a small cage before. Yes, I fought in a big cage, small cage. Um, yeah, I think it's. I I don't think it's gonna make too much of a difference. I actually prefer small smaller cage too. Uh, it's easier to get into a clinch. It's easier to start wrestling. So, yeah, I like smaller cage. I was going to say, it seems more suited to your skill set, having the judo background. Um, also, all of, all of the different grappling that you do, it feels like something that would be good for you as a bigger fighter as well because you can cut off corners, you can get into those positions pretty easily. Yes, I, I agree. I think that um, I think I'm going to benefit from having a smaller cage. Now, this is kind of a cool card for Canadians because you've got yourself on the card, Charles Jordan, uh, Gavin Tucker. What's it like to see so many Canadians on a card? I can't remember the last time we've had a UFC event with three Canadians on a, a single card, uh, especially one that hasn't taken place in Canada. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. It's, it's really cool to see uh, other fellow Canadians, and uh, it's nice that this, uh, uh, this fight night is going to be, you know, we're going to have more Canadian talent. So... Um, it's nice, you know, we're going to put Canada back on a map, we're going to fight really hard, and we're going to show that in Canada we also have top fighters that can, uh, that can fight. Now I asked uh, Charles Jordan uh, just a little bit earlier whether he's met any of the different Canadians on the card, and he said no, but you're in the same room as him. I just wrapped up with him about five minutes before you. Did you guys cross paths at all? Yes, we just crossed a pass, but uh, before that I didn't see him because, you know, during the COVID we all have different cars, we have different rooms, uh, there's a lot of different precautions, but we did actually uh, cross paths uh, entering, uh, he was leaving from the interview and I was coming in, so we, we just we just chatted. He's a very nice guy, very outgoing, so I'm glad that uh, two uh, great ambassadors of the sport from Canada were able to, to meet. Uh, obviously, you guys will never meet in the cage, so it's good that you guys can just become friends and not have to worry about uh, being, being uh, matched up at any point in time, given that he's a 45er and you're a 205er. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we're going to be matched up against each other uh, in this <laughs> life. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's for sure. But he's a definitely a nice guy, and uh, um, it, yeah, it was good to meet other fellow Canadians. Um, I'm just excited for, for all the Canadians. It would be what an amazing time would be if we all win um, uh, this uh, Saturday. Would love to hear your opinion on this past weekend's main event. Uh, Jan Bojovic defending the, the title successfully for, for the first time against uh, Israel Adesanya, who's moved up to uh, 205. Uh, what was your takeaway from that? You know, the fight went almost exactly how I predicted it. Um, the only thing, what I thought... Uh, in a striking exchanges, I knew that uh, Adesanya is going to be. Um, I knew he would score more points in terms of um, you know volume of strikes, but I thought that once you know they're in that pocket exchanging the shots, and when Jan Blakovich lands one, I thought uh, I thought that he he can actually knock uh, Adesanya out, but. He didn't necessarily knock him out. He didn't do as well in striking as I thought. However, I knew that you know he also has more wrestling than Adesanya, just because I've never seen Adesanya wrestle, and therefore, I don't I don't believe his wrestling is on a, a, a young black of his level. And it was actually a very close fight. You know, it's I scored Israel Adesanya that he won first three rounds, 
And then obviously the last two, uh, Jan Blakovic was shining and doing better. So it was a very close fight, you know, if anything could have happened. However, Jan Blakovic had like a really solid and strong finish in a fifth round. And I guess that separated them um, on the on the, on the, on the, on the wins and they gave the win to Blakovic. How did you say you had the first three round score? Uh, first three round score, I had it for Israel Adesanya, just based on uh, uh, striking, volume of the punches, um, octagon control, um, like stuff like that. I thought Israel Adesanya did phenomenally well, and um, he's just a very great fighter. And like at 185, he's going to be so hard to deal with for anyone. Um, yeah, like. Very excited to see him back at 185 and uh, get get a few more wins. Okay, I thought I misheard you because I also had the first three for uh, Israel on Saturday. People were killing me on social media. They thought that I, you know, what are you doing covering fights? So when I have somebody who's as educated on mixed martial arts saying the same thing to me, that's some good confirmation bias for me. So I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, no, no. I believe that I'm on your page. I, I'm exactly with you. I believe that he did win the first three. Um, but then we've seen Jan Blakovic start putting on more wrestling. I, I, I actually thought that he would do more wrestling in a first and second round just to kind of like get Israel's Adesanya attention on wrestling and kind of maybe make him drop the hands a little bit more and then implement his striking a little bit more. But, you know, he, he worked out the way he did, and uh, it was a great fight. I, I, I watched every single second of it. So when it comes to uh, the future of this division, does it make you happier knowing that it's not going to be kind of in question? You know, if you have Israel as the two-division champion, he's going to want to defend in both divisions, slows things down, doesn't allow contenders to kind of get momentum. Are you happy that we have an established champion in the light heavyweight division who's a, a light heavyweight that will continue to defend the championship in this division? I mean, 100%. But it's always nice to see some, you know, other fighters from other divisions, like 185, trying to climb up there, uh, you know, and f make themselves bigger challenges. Like we've seen some guys do really, really well, you know, like Tiago Santos was able to get a fight with John Jones and he had some wins at 205. And so for some people, it makes sense to move up. And for some people, it actually makes makes sense to move down. But 205, in my opinion, 205 division is... Some people say it's open this, open that, but in my opinion, it's one of the toughest divisions. Um, we've seen guys like John Jones, Daniel Cormier, and now Jan Blakovic and Adesanya tried to step in there. That division is so explosive. There's so many great fighters, and uh, anything can happen at 205. Guys are very strong, uh, athletic, explosive, technical. So at, at 205, Anything can happen, you know. It's one of, in my opinion, is one of the. Every division is tough, but in my opinion, two or five is like one of the toughest. I just, I just feel I, I know how tough the guys are because I fight in it. So for me, it's the toughest because I fight in it. Well, hopefully, you'll be knocking on the door of the top five after this weekend. Uh, best of luck against Ryan Spann, and I always appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. I'm now joined by one of my favorite people to interview in all of MMA. It's Charles Jordan. I like the shirt. Jordan, uh, jamais fini, never, never finished. I like yes, it. Sir. That's your new expression. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, elaborate. What, why, uh, why never finished? Uh, never finished because uh, I, I said recently in an interview, uh, 
uh, with the UFC that uh, I, 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 I admitted that I came from a very privileged home in uh, Belay, Quebec, Canada. I could have done any type of job I wanted, and then I, I choose to do a, a fighting, which is a very tough job in my opinion. So coming from that like privileged environment, uh, I thought I would be weak-minded when it comes to defeat, and uh, I'm glad I wasn't because I had a very bad 2020, but for me it's really bad. I didn't get a, a single win in 2020, and uh, plus the whole COVID thing and everything, it, it was a very intense year. And in a, a very intense year for everybody. So they just came up like c'est jamais fini. It's never done. It's never over. When you have a dream, when you keep believing in yourself, I know it sounds cheesy. Sorry for you guys who find me cringy, but uh, I believe in myself. And even though I had a rough 2020 and people start doubting, oh, Charles, is he at his place in the UFC? Is he that good? Because I was, you know, riding that big wave of being a two division champion in TKO, blah, 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 like that all big thing. And then like been on the win, loss, win, loss type of a thing uh, in the UFC. So people start doubting me and that put doubt in me. The people were like, is he that good? And I was like, am I that good? And then I realized I am. I just need to figure some things out. I need just to, to get stronger and it's, it's never over. Until I say I'm done, nobody can say I'm done. So when you say you came from a place of privilege, I know a lot of people that get into mixed martial arts come from pretty rough backgrounds, um, growing exactly. up in bad areas, coming from a single parent home. Uh, walk me through your upbringing and why uh, you think that you come from a specific place of privilege versus a lot of the other people in the sport. By privilege, I mean a place where I, I, I had many opportunities. Like I, I could have done, uh, I, I didn't grow up rich. I grew up with four brothers, so it was a very testosterone-ish environment very intense, like pushing around a lot. Like I never get to have my own clothes. It was always the clothes of the two older brothers. And then I was passing mine to my brother, Louis. So it, it, was, it was a normal life, a normal Canadian life, if you want. But what I mean by privilege is I, had, I could have become a veterinarian. Uh, that, that's what I wanted to do at first. Uh, I entered the police academy, but then I said, no, I'm going to Thailand and pursue that fighting uh, dream of mine. So what I mean by privilege is the opportunity to do anything else presented to me. And then I choose a very rough uh, career, but it was something I was passionate about. So the, yeah, that's what I mean uh, by, by privilege. I decided to become a fighter. So I didn't grow up wrestling bear. I didn't grow up in a poor environment that like boxing or MMA saved my life or anything. I just really, really love it. And uh, I, I could have done anything else. And I choose this job because I'm very passionate about it. That's well, certainly a, a great way of thinking. Now, your last fight against Kulabao, we talked about this before the fight. You like to fight guys that you're scared of, that, that you know, yes. when you go to bed at night, they keep you awake. Uh, you yes. said that you did not have that with Josh Kulabao. Now you're fighting a guy who's yes. brand new to the UFC, Marcelo Rojo. Are you in the same boat? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that, that was like, if I lost because of something, it was because I couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, there, there was many factors that... that brought me backwards into that fight. I don't know. I, I just, it was the first fight I arrived and I was like, can this be over so I can go home? It was also the traveling, the fighting at 4 a.m. The, the, I was sleeping like two hours a day during the day in the, the hotel in Abu Dhabi. I know many fighters talked about it. Uh, uh, fighting in the, 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 the morning was very weird. And, uh, you know, just like you said, it wasn't something that was exciting me as much. And you know why all of this got to my head? Because all the I was on my phone the whole week. I was looking at interviews. I was looking at prediction. I was looking at everything everybody has to say about me. And 
that changed my 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 perspective on fighting when i arrived in the ufc it was all about proving who i was instead of just fighting and having fun like i was in tko so now in this fight doesn't matter who i'm fighting he's good he's in the ufc he's dangerous and i need to fight all of this i need to impress i need to finish with a flying knee i need to be spectacular i need i don't need anything i need to fight and when i'm in that zone i i perform uh, amazingly so like like in uh in uh, busan in busan i was like you know what f it i don't know if i can say the f word but <laughs> just just let it go and that's what i did in the third round against kuliba i just said you know what fuck it just have fun and that that was my best round of the whole fight so i'm i'm coming with that mentality of just i'm there to fight i'm there to enjoy i'm there to do the the, the thing i love the most in life and it's a privilege but i don't I won't put myself with, I need to do this. I need to win spectacularly. I need to blah, blah, blah. I just need to fight. That's all there is in my mind uh, currently. Uh, Certainly a good thought. So when you were looking at the previews and you're looking at interviews and things like that, does it become confirmation bias? You're a four to one favorite in that fight. Everybody says Charles Jordan's going to win this fight. This is a, you know, this is an easy one for him compared to his last fight against Feely or against uh, Duho Choi. Does that, does that kind of get into your head where it's like, okay, yeah, this should be a walk in the park and then I can go home and celebrate. (laughs) Not in, not anymore. No, not anymore. There's nothing after this fight. Like I, after, after uh, before the the fight in Abu Dhabi, I was like, oh, after this fight, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna put time in that. Blah blah blah. I'm gonna. There's nothing. There's nothing. My mind is point blank. It. My my mind is so centered on that fight that it doesn't matter if I'm there. Like like it's it's a very repetitive thing right now. This situation that I am like I was against Fulibao. Big favorite. I'm supposed to be that guy in one round, one minute, whatever. Like all these experts were saying this and that. I agree. They have the, they have their thing to say and they have the, their, their thing to sell, but that's not my job. My job is to fight. My, my job is not to, to do what, uh, what, what people expect me to do. I'm going to do what I can, I'm gonna fight. I'm 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 gonna pull the trigger as soon as I enter the octagon. I just went into the octagon here at the apex. It's a small octagon. I think that's why I had so much success against uh, Philly, even though I lost by split decision. But it was a, a very like clash of energy, clash of uh, of. It, it's a small octagon, like I fought in TKO. So, yeah, I, I I'm I'm just here for the fight mainly. I watched some some uh, tape on Rojo to see what he, kind of a fighter he's like. It reminds me a little bit of you. I mean, he's very uh, he walks forward. He's tall. He's got a lot of different uh, tools yes. and tricks. Do you like that when you see a fighter like that and you knowing that that's what you're going to be getting into? Yes, he's a very exciting fighter. Uh, he got like eight knockouts, four submissions. Like ten of his sixteen victories were by way of finishes. So I got a lot of respect for that. Uh, right hand guy, like ju- just like to mess you around with the jab and then throw that overhand. Uh, no, it's a it's a very fun matchup. It makes me think of a smaller version of Choi, and uh, you know he's a cowboy. He, he comes in to shoot, and uh, I'm I'm I was very excited when I I knew I was fighting that guy. It's going to be the first time I'm fighting a guy who comes up from 135. He really looked like he has a small frame. Uh, but he has power, so now he's going to be up to 145. So may, uh, is he going to be more powerful, this and that? I don't know. But he's a, a quite experienced guy. I think he has 24 uh, professional fights. I think I got 12, so he got twice the amount of experience. And one thing that differs from this fight and the last one with uh, uh, Kulibao is Kulibao, I only had like one highlight of him on YouTube uh, made by probably someone, some of his friends. So I, I, I had nothing on the guy. Now I have a big, 
uh, not bibliotheque, but uh, a, sample, a big uh, sample size, yeah, library. Exactly. I have so many fights, so many things I can watch from him. So I'm very happy that I get to gather all these information like my last opponent could, uh, could, could do. So I watch his fights. I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a great matchup. He's not much into grappling. My, my grappling got a lot better, but it's not what I'm focusing on. I'm, you know, I'm a Muay Thai guy. I like standing up. I like uh, striking exchange, the small octagon, him and me. There's no reason that fight's going to be boring. I think I've never been into a boring fight. And uh, it's not going to start Saturday, that's for sure. One guy that you had talked about prior to this was Cub Swanson. Now, there was a report that Gavin Tucker was going to face Swanson. Now, Tucker ends up on this card against Dan Ige. Yes. And Swanson has no opponent. <clears throat> Is that somebody that you'd still like to target uh, should you get a win this weekend? Uh, I mean, sadly, I don't think I'm in a position to ask something like that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to face a guy who comes up from 135, uh, first fight in the UFC. So I, it's not giving me enough credit to ask for a fight against Cub. But uh, I, if, if he's interested, I mean, I, of course, I'm going to spill it out uh, afterwards. But, uh, uh, but I heard some rumors that he was going to fight Giga Chikatsu on, uh, on the fight island or something like that. So maybe maybe it's wrong. I saw that on Instagram. I sent it to my coach uh, uh, like two, three days ago. So I, I was quite happy when I saw that Tucker was not fighting him. I was like, man, maybe I get get my, my crack at Cub. But like I said, if he's interested in, in the fight, he has all the, 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 the power to make it happen. Me, I don't. I have to make more uh, proof that I belong to the top of uh, the, the division right now. Yeah, I did the uh, podcast with Joe like I do every week. And he said something that stuck out to me last week. He said that he's never met any fighters that sleep before their fight, that, that are able to sleep before their fight. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe Israel. Israel's so calm. He always seems so cool. And then he lost this past weekend. And in his post fight, he said, I, I couldn't get any sleep the night before this fight. Yeah. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. from you, what's the most sleep you've gotten the night before a fight? It's not the sleep that is a problem. Because me, uh, I, I, I have a... It's not a disorder or anything, but I cannot go to sleep without watching something because other else, mama, I won't sleep. I won't go to sleep. So like I'm watching Vikings currently. I, I enjoy it. So I put on the, 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 my tablet. I watch it. Go to sleep. Fine. If I wake up once during night, 4 a.m., 6 a.m., whatever, I cannot go to sleep back because my brain just starting to it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's fight day. OK, what what, what can I do to make sure it's it's weird. It's a very uh, weird thing to explain. But yeah, sleeping fine. Once I wake up, I could wake up at 2 a.m. My brain just starts and it's very hard to go back to sleep on fight day. I mean. Yeah, but no, normally you're OK, I guess. Normally you don't need to be watching Vikings uh, on a regular day. Yeah. Fight, fight camp is great. Uh, I put on my tablet, watch a little show, fall asleep, wake up, take like magnesium or, or uh, other type of uh, little pills if I, if I need to. But uh, it, it's very rare. Normally, like one magnesium, watch Vikings, go to sleep, and I'm, I'm good during camp. But fight week, yeah, it's weird. It's hard. Now, I saw your brother Louis has fought uh, somewhat recently for Brave. Uh, he hadn't fought in a long time and uh, fell short in his fight. Um, what did he learn from that and what have you guys been working on since then? Uh, Louis, yeah, he fought in Abu Dhabi and uh, it didn't go his way. Uh, he had two weeks to prepare. Uh, he was in great shape, but uh, he, he, uh, it was like a, a last-minute fight, a wrestler. The guy took him down and the guy was surviving in the stand-up exchange. Like, sadly, we, me and Louis did a big mistakes being hyped by the media as strikers. Because Louis back then in amateur, he went like 10-0 as, as an amateur fighting big men, big guys at his weight. 
And Louis was taking them down, Kimura, Ambar. Louis was beating those guys up. And then as we, we started to go up, people say, oh, these two are very good strikers. So we just let that implement into our mind. So, you know, let's work more on our striking and less on our our other uh, part and when we fight we don't need to take it like louis if in this fight like the third round he would have took the guy down and started ground and pound he, he probably would have won this fight but we we had that this barrier of you are a striker but there's no barriers i i, I allowed the media to tell me what uh, uh what type of fighter i was so of course this is my strong point but man i'm i'm, I'm becoming more and more of a great grappler uh, Kulibao couldn't take me down, um, and uh, he, from the tapes I saw, he was taking down most of his opponent. And uh, no, I, I can't wait to show my 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 uh, sorry jujitsu ability. And just like Louis, Louis needs to understand that there's no barriers. Louis is a very good wrestler. He has very great timing, very good jujitsu, and he needs to to put emphasis on that. So what we've learned is break the barriers. We're not. We're not only Charles and Louis good strikers. We're, we're, we're more than that. And finally, a lot of Canadians on this card. Yourself, Misha Surkinov, yes. uh, Gavin Tucker, some of the really the best Canadians in the UFC right now. Have you made any new friends this weekend? No, sadly, I didn't see anybody. I just arrived yesterday. We did COVID tests. We have to do quarantine. I saw Leon Edwards yesterday, and I, I, I the door was slightly open, and I was like... <gasps> Should I knock on the door and be like, did someone order a three-piece and a soda? And I was like, that's a bad idea. He's gonna take me down, and I'm gonna look like a fool. No, it was it was just a funny a funny thing. I I was on Instagram and I told that, and everybody was laughing about it. But no, I I, I the, the Leon is the only guy I saw uh, in the the whole lobby and everything. All right. Well, hopefully you get a chance to reminisce. I don't know how close you want to get to Gavin Tucker, since I guess he's technically the competition. But uh, nice Canadian boy who uh, has trained at TriStar, trains out out east. And uh, certainly a good uh, good reflection on the sport. I think his fight with Dan Ige is going to be uh, a really exciting one. It's a big fight. It's a very big fight. And me and uh, people around me, we were wondering why would you take a, like a, a, a very hard fight instead of an exposure fight. And that's what you do when you want to be the best in the world. And I, I adds up to him for doing something like that. Me, I'm fighting Cubs once soon in a month. And you tell me, hey, you want to fight uh, Dan Ige? And I'm like... No, get away from me. I'm fighting Cub Swanson. It, like me for for me, Cub is a, is one of the most interesting fight I can get. But hey, adds up to him. It was a, a very uh, brave and uh, yeah, just a brave decision from his part. So the yeah, very good representative of Canada, Gavin Tucker. All right. Well, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, Charles. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Marcelo Rojo. And I uh, hope to speak with you uh, if you're victorious this weekend. We, we should catch up next week. And if not, we should catch up next week anyways. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you very much, everyone. I want to be at that podcast with you and Joe soon. All right? <laughs> All right. Let's do you it. Guys. If you can work around Joe's schedule like I do, you can join us anytime. Yeah. It's, it's Joe's schedule is it's very, very, uh, very, very full. But if, if, you can get, yeah. if you can get in on the time where he's available, you're in. That would be that would be amazing. That would speaking with the two of you at the same time. That would be that would be great for me. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I'm now joined by one of the best independent mixed martial arts journalists out there, Sean Sheehan. And the reason why I wanted to have Sean on is because there is no journalist that I follow that's as as well versed in the scoring system as Sean. So Sean, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. 
no problem with I'm uh, I'm uh, glad to be on with you. I'm glad to talk. Uh, judging, it seems to be all I talk about these days. <laughs> another uh, another bit of it today won't be won't go uh, won't go too far astray. I suppose after the weekend. Well, it's certainly your area of expertise, and uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background. And I apologize in advance for being long-winded. So mm. on Saturday during the main event, I had scored the first three rounds uh, of the fight for Israel Adesanya, and. Uh, Basically, after the fourth round, when I said I thought it was 39-37 for Israel, because, of course, if I had the first three rounds for him and the fourth round for Jan, that would be the score. Uh, people were coming at me from left, right, and center saying, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, I, I'm still today, I'm getting messages in my Instagram, uh, private messages from people that are angry. I've seen some of the most racist, vile, homophobic slurs uh, that could be thrown in someone's direction in my private messages. Uh, just as a result of, of this particular thing. So I didn't respond to anybody that was commenting because I, I thought to myself, maybe this is a teachable moment. Maybe this is a time where mm -hmm. I can figure out, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, right? So uh, I, I took three steps. The first step was, is there anybody out there that I respect that agrees with me? Uh, because I could, if I'm on an island here, then I'm definitely going to take this L and I'm going to have to figure out what, what went wrong. So I, mm -hmm. the, the people that did have the fight scored for Israel that I respect are uh, Matt Brown, mixed martial artist, of course, in the UFC. Uh, Dave Meltzer, a longtime combat sports uh, journalist, wrestling journalist. Uh, Kevin Ioli, who's been covering combat sports for probably since I was in diapers. Uh, Robin mm -hmm. Black, who my, my colleague at TSN also thought that Israel had won the first three rounds. So I knew I wasn't on an island there. So the next two steps that I took... The second was to watch your video, Sean, because I, I have read the mm -hmm. scoring criteria before, but I, you know, it never hurts to brush, brush up my knowledge on that. And I found, find your video to be the most helpful in terms of uh, understanding the scoring criteria. And then the third step was listening to what everybody was saying and say, and not watching, uh, sorry, watching without the commentary. People were saying the commentary mm -hmm. is biased, watch without the commentary. So before, I, before we get into that particular fight and you know, my second time watching it, what is the biggest misconception when it comes to scoring? When people are watching fights, what, where are people mostly going wrong? Well, there's a lot of areas, I would say. But I would say stats are probably the one. And now it's an interesting one because this fight, the stats would actually prove that Blahovic won. But usually the stats are completely wrong. Like if you look at the, the judging criteria, which you spoke about the video I have there, and it's on the ABC website, the, one of the first things it says is effective striking and grappling. Uh, with the immediate effect of the strikes or the grappling weighing more heavily than the cumulative. So if you go out and land 10 jabs to the body and they don't have that much of an effect and someone comes over the top and hits you with a big right hand, that actually scores more than the 10 shots beforehand. So if you pull up the stats, it's 10 shots to one, but the one actually scores higher on the judges' scorecard. So that, to me, is the biggest uh, misconception. One of them when striking and obviously with the grappling as well. When we talk about effective grappling, effective grappling is not just taking someone down or laying on top of them. It's landing strikes from that position. So it says in the criteria that a takedown is not just merely a changing of position, but the establishment of an attack from that position. But if you don't attack from that position, it's only establishing it. You know, if Conor McGregor moves from orthodox to southpaw, well, that's an establishment of an attack because he is better from that position. But if he doesn't throw the left hand, there isn't much effective striking coming from it. It just gives him a better base from which to attack from. And it's the same with takedowns like that. So that's what I would say. You know, you see some takedowns like Blahovic in the fourth and fifth round where he takes Adesanya down and he lands shot after shot after shot on the ground. Some big, some scoring more, some not so big. But there's no 
uh, Athens coming back from Adesanya didn't, so he's winning that round more as it goes. Some of that cumulative, uh, 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 having a cumulative effect, and some of it having a more immediately impactful effect with the bigger shots, and those obviously scoring more. So I think those are probably the two things. And what effective grappling is as well, like effective grappling is going for the finish. For I always talk to judges, and they always say, forcing the opponent to defend, or forcing the opponent to pry your hands off when you're going for a choke, or putting someone in an armbar that looks to be on, that's more effective grappling than just laying on top. If someone's on the bottom, they can have more effective grappling. We saw uh, Paul Sass do it for years. He's on the bottom. He's triangling guys from there. Who's more effective from that position? So it's not just about the position. Um, so yeah, those would be the, the two things. Stats and positions not meaning you're winning fights. Yeah, the Sass angle was always a, a threat, of course, from Paul Sass off of his back. But uh, <laughs> before we talk about, again, the main event, I'm curious... What was your score, if you remember offhand, for Max Holloway versus mm-hmm. Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, part two? Oh, God. Offhand, I think I had a 3-2 Max Holloway, but I have the worst memory of all time because I do this so much every week. <laughs> so I've, I'd have to go back and watch the fight again to, to make sure 100%. But it might be up in MMA decisions if you go and look there. So, it's uh, yeah, offhand, I think that was what it was. Now, the reason I ask is because I feel like this fight was very similar to that fight. But the big difference between the two is that Max Holloway had two, two dominant 10-9 rounds. I'll say dominant 10-9 because they weren't 10-8 rounds. Right at the beginning of the fight. Mm-hmm. So, so those two rounds were clear Max Holloway rounds. And then rounds 3-4-5 were kind of coin flip rounds. They were very, very close rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the judges scored those three predominantly for Volkanovski. This fight was kind of the reverse. Yeah. Because you had three very mm-hmm. close rounds off the top which I think you really could have scored either way for the most part. The, the surprising one to me is I mm-hmm. thought the clearest round for Israel was the first round, and all three judges gave Jan the first round. But uh, I digress on that. This particular fight mm-hmm. had three very difficult rounds to score off the top, but two very dominant rounds at the end. So at the end of the fight, everybody's like, yeah. Jan won that fight. Now, I'm not here. The hill that I'm going to die on is not that Israel won that fight, because... If you watch that fight mm-hmm. and you're not scoring round by round, I think that Jan is the clear winner. And, and I also think that if you scored the, the fight 49-46 for Jan, uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with that either. I think those first three rounds really could have gone either way. I, I didn't see a 10-8 mm-hmm. there, uh, but again, uh, that, that's kind of how I look at this, is that when, when you're using the scoring criteria, which I think is a broken scoring criteria, I think a half-point system, which I've been trying to preach for years, would be a much better way of scoring a fight such as this because then you could have three 10 to nine and a half rounds, whatever way, and then those last two rounds mm-hmm. are either 10 to nine or 10 to eight and a half, depending on how dominant you thought Jan Vlahovic was. But you went back and watched the fight, um, and I'm curious what you thought of the first three rounds, and, and I would just love to hear who won, in your opinion, and why they won based on the scoring criteria. Okay, so I changed my score in a big way, having gone back and watched it again. And it might be a little bit of a surprise what I'm going to say, but I scored it three rounds to two for Blahovic first uh, on first watch. I scored the first round uh, for Adesanya, but razor close. I literally scored it almost on the secondary criteria uh, rather than uh, the, the more um, effective strikes because it was so close and I didn't see any big effective strikes. Now, I'll, I'll talk about what I saw on the second rewatch in a minute. The second round, I think Blahovic uh, won that. The, the third round, I scored for Adesanya, and four and five, I scored for Blahovic. Watching it back, I scored all five rounds for Blahovic. Uh, I just think he landed the better, more effective strike throughout the whole thing. Now, the first point I'll make on it is when me and you were watching the fights, and probably everyone else at home, we're watching the tactics. We're watching 
about judging. We're watching the leg kicks. We're watching the feints. We're watching everything because we're going to talk about it. We're thinking, oh, what way is this fight going? Who's taking over? Who's looking tired and all of that? The judges are only watching the product of the strikes and the grappling. All they're doing is watching the leg kicks. They're watching the punch to the head. They're watching the kicks to the body. That is all they're watching. They don't have the commentary in the background and the terrible, terrible, terrible commentary we had on this fight at the weekend. I actually didn't really listen to it live, but I listened to it back when I watched the fight today. And it was one of the most atrocious uh, bits of commentary I've ever heard in MMA, to be honest. It was awful. Uh, so people have that in their ears as well. Now, with that said, that, that, and that, those are things that can affect you. If you look at the fight round by round, okay, the first round, still on watching it back, very, very close. If you score that for Adesanya, if you score that for Blahovic, absolutely nothing wrong with it. I thought Jan won it based on two strikes. I thought he won it based on a kick to the body and a kick to the head. The kick to the head is a very hard one. They didn't show a replay of it after the round. In the round, you couldn't, it was hard to see it. So I look at the judges' cage side. You said all three judges' cage side gave it. They have a better view of that than we have. They have a better, uh, you know, they can judge better how big that shot was or how it wasn't you you know you've sat cage side of fights i've sat cage side of fights you can hear these shots you can kind of feel them as they're landing so i would you know these three judges are you know have judged for years and years and years i would go with their call over us sitting at home and not really knowing it in the second round i thought that was a pretty clear round for blahovic to be honest it, like the, the thing about this first and second round is israel was doing a lot of good technical work with the fence and making blahovic do things that you think he shouldn't want him to do but what came after the fence from Israel, nothing really came after the fence from Israel. He was throwing bits of jabs. He was throwing shots inside and he was landing some nice shots. But the more immediately impactful strikes were from Blahovic. He landed, he was checking some of the kicks. He was landing big right hands over the top. Just, I th just thought landing a little bit more, uh, you know, the little bit of better shots. And in the third round, that was the closest round for me because that was the round where in the first two rounds, there were... I said in the first round, I scored the best on two shots. In the second round, I think maybe three or four shots for Blahovic. But in the third round, there were lots of impactful shots for both guys, I think. I think if you're scoring that round based on Adesanya landing that left hook from the break early in the fight, maybe after 90 seconds or so, maybe a little bit earlier, actually, no problem with that. I think that's a good score. And I think most people probably would score it like that. I I watched Jan shots after it, and he landed so many right hands after it. He landed a lovely left hook uh, at one stage. He landed a head kick at one stage, another one which Israel took very, very well. And I think that actually might have made uh, made it not look like as big a strike as, uh, as it was. So to me, I, I, the first round, the third round, I think they can go either way. I really think you can give them to Adesanya, give them to, uh, to Blahovic. The second round, I think, is definitely Blahovic. And in look, the last two rounds... I think everyone knows that, that Blahovic won those rounds. But I think one key thing there, just because he got the takedown doesn't mean he won the round. You know, before, in the fourth round, I thought Izzy was barely winning and Jan did well enough on the ground to take the round. I thought Izzy was well ahead in the fifth round on the feet until Blahovic took him down. But Blahovic landed lots of shots. I mean, one judge gave a 10-8. I would not agree with that whatsoever. But he did enough to take a round that Adesanya was well ahead in and put Blahovic well ahead in uh, with what he did on the ground. So that's that's kind of how I solidified when I watched it back and how I watched it uh, live as well. Yeah, see, when I was watching those first three rounds, and this is after watching your video on the scoring scoring criteria because I wanted to refresh my memory, the thing mm -hmm. that stood out to me the most about Israel was the leg kicks. Like, he was landing very, very effective leg kicks. Jan was checking some of them, but the ones that went unchecked, 
you could see we're leaving, uh, you know, visible bruising on Jan's legs. And uh, I thought, again, mm -hmm. I thought the first round he, he was when he landed the best. I didn't see Jan landing much of anything in the first round when I rewatched it. I, it didn't look to me. You mentioned the head kick. That was blocked. And the body kick was, I think, probably the only mm -hmm. major strike that, that Jan had landed in the first round. But uh, I just mm -hmm. thought that the, the work he was putting in on the legs in the first round, I thought that made that a pretty clear round for him. The second round was a tough one to score, in my opinion. I mean, I know most people thought it was for Jan. And then I rewatched it again, and uh, I, I saw what people were seeing. Like, Jan landed uh, some good combos, but Israel was still doing really good work on the legs. I found that that was one thing that people were kind of ignoring. And I, I feel like I have a bit of a bias because I do my podcast with, with Joe Baltolini from Glory, and he loves mm -hmm. like, leg kicks for him are the gospel. So when, when I'm watching yeah. leg kicks... Um, I see that, that they're accumulating damage. And when you look at the fight like uh, Dustin Poirier versus McGregor, you see, you see how impactful leg kicks are starting to become in uh, mm -hmm. the, the mixed martial arts nomenclature. To me, I think that um, he was doing a good deal of damage to Jan with those, those particular blows. And uh, the third round, I think, again, was um, a really close one as well. Mm -hmm. you know, Israel landed, landed, I thought, his best shot of the fight in the third round. But you, like you mentioned, Jan had a lot of volume, a lot of good combos. Uh, that, that, that big, uh, I think it was, was it an overhand right that he landed? He landed a really strong strike as well in the third round. Um, I think the majority yeah. of people looked like they gave that to Israel. But um, mm -hmm. the, the issue that I have is the, I'm, seeing people, mm -hmm. uh, I'm seeing people that gave all three rounds to, uh, sorry, that gave different rounds of the three to Israel. But there was not really a mm -hmm. ton of consistency across the board. I think the second round you saw mostly for Jan, but there were still people that gave Israel the yeah. second. So, I, you know, mm -hmm. I was teetering back and forth. And having watched it again, again, while I wouldn't die on the hill that, that Israel won this fight, again, I, I think that giving Jan the, the, the decision is totally fine because I thought those three rounds really could have gone either way. I just don't feel like mm -hmm. by me scoring those first three rounds for Israel that I had made any real mistake having gone back and watched just how close they were. No, look, the, the problem with this is this happens with fights all the time. You know, there's a famous fight, Paddy Pym, the Julian Arosa fight that happened in, in Cage Warriors a few years ago. And two rounds were won well, you know, almost 10 eights, you could say, on, on a couple of them. And then three rounds were very close. And Paddy Pym won the fight because he barely won the three rounds and lost well in the other two rounds. That happens. MMA has scored round by round. So we like we have to remember that as well. The judges hand up their scorecard at the end of each round. You know, it's 10-9, 9-10, whatever round it is, uh, whatever way you score it. Just one point as well on your the, the leg kick point. And you, you made the point that they're more accumulative than anything else. Now, they were having an effect, and I, they had an immediately impactful effect as well. But we have to remember that things like that, that, look to be more accumulative than they are immediately impactful, do not score as highly. Now, the the thing is, if those leg kicks were immediately impactful, it should, sometimes if you're a judge, you're looking for the effect that actually has on Yan. You see Conor McGregor, the effect that had on him, he was wobbling around the place, he couldn't move, his leg was clearly hurt. So that it's harder to score that as a immediately impactful strike if you can see the impact it's like there was a fight as well um oh is it darren till or robert whitaker if that's the fight i'm, I'm thinking of there's like um uh, a big someone lands a big shot right near the end of the fight there's maybe 30 seconds left and uh, if it's i think it's whitaker he takes the his opponent down after he got hit with that big strike and lays on top of him for the last 30 seconds now some people say that oh, he got an, uh, a takedown with 30 seconds left and he won the round because stole of the, the round, takedown. Yeah. We always hear stole he actually, the round. <laughs> he, 
Yeah, but he he didn't. The reason he stalled around is because he didn't allow the big strike to show the impact it actually had because he came straight back and it had no impact on him because he took it down. Uh, to, he took his opponent to the ground. Whereas if it had stayed up, he might have been wobbling around. He might have taken four or five more shots and lost that round easily. So what comes after the strikes sometimes shows the impact of the strike. So I think that's the big thing with those leg kicks. And I think that's probably the argument that a judge would give you. Like, is the impact clear? Can you see the impact? Or are we like judging the impact based on what we think it might have done by it? Like we so, when when Izzy landed that left hook in the third round, we could see the impact it had. Yan kind of moved back and he kind of reset himself. When Yan was landing the right hands over top, we could see the impact. Now, this fight wasn't a fight where there was huge impact. There was no strike in this whole fight that had massive big impact, apart from maybe the last 15 seconds of the fight where Yan landed a lot of ground and pound uh, in the, at the very end of the fight. So it was one of them. But it's look, the, the thing about these close fights is you punch me once in the face, I punch you once in the face. Who punched harder? That's a hard thing to judge sometimes. And that's what you're asking these judges to do sometimes. And if there's three rounds exactly like that that come down to one punch, that's a very, very hard round and a very, very hard, uh, hard three rounds and a very, very hard fight to judge. So with that, what do you think of the idea of a half point must system? Do you feel like it would it would do, um, you know, a better job of, of telling a story of each round? Because, again, you look at four and five, those are 10, nine rounds for Jan, clearly. But the other three rounds mm-hmm. have to be 10, nine rounds also. And we don't know who they're for necessarily, depending on, on how uh, how each one was scored. They're still the same. Mm-hmm. They're still judged the same, even though they're much closer rounds. Yeah, look, I think the the biggest issue with MMA scoring in the 10-point-month system is there isn't much wiggle room. Now, in a five-round fight, like, and I always do make this point with, with point deductions, I, I hate point deductions in MMA because it changes the whole fight. One point for something that might be innocuous enough changes the whole fight. And it's the same with this. But to me, the half-point system, like you're... If you move to the half point system, you're having a very similar you're having very similar problems to what you have now. You're saying, is it nine point five? Is it nine? Is it eight? Is it whatever it might be? You're you're gonna have the same arguments. What I think like the, the problem is, right? Someone tweeted me the other day and said, uh, historically, this is the way MMA is scored with you know takedowns and all that meaning things. If we look at MMA judging historically, it's not going to be a good picture when we look at where we are today because MMA judging changed about four years ago. You know, they have the revised criteria. And to me, this revised criteria has made MMA judging fantastic. It's made it really a lot more understandable uh, understandable than it once was. And it makes what uh, a 10-9 and a 10-8 and a 10-7 even is a lot more clearly. It, the, with the three Ds, as we know about, if anyone has watched the video, the dominance, uh, the duration and the damage. If you have one of those, it might be a 10-8. If you have two of those, it probably is going towards a 10. If you have three of those, it is a 10-8. And Dana White at the weekend, you know, talking about the, this whole 10-8, talking about we're getting away mad with 10 Now, at the weekend, I would agree with him in that fight. But normally, I think we're picking 10 at the right time. I know a lot of people have said uh, there's a more liberal 10 You won't hear any judges saying that. You won't hear any commission saying that. That's not a thing that they say. It's just a more well-defined 10-8. And I think the more well-defined 10-8 has actually taken away the necessity for a half-point system. Because I think if someone is winning the round well enough, they will get the 10-8. I, when I talk to judges, they always say the phrase to me, does the guy earn his nine? 
you know, if someone is dominant in the round and you're thinking, is it 10-9 or 10-8? If there's good defense there, if there's someone offense at the start of the round, maybe offense at the end of the round, if they're staying in, if they're stopping the person overwhelming. And when I say good, you, defense isn't scored, but defense scores for you because you're stopping the offense of the opponent, if that makes sense, like the like the, the Taylor Whitaker part. So if, if the, the person who's losing the round earns their nine, it, it, I think it kind of takes away that necessity for it. And it makes, there's going to be close rounds all the time. Close rounds are going to be close rounds, whether you have a half point system or not. But I, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, to be honest. I think it might actually make more problems because we have wider fights and uh, we could have matter scores in the middle of it as well. But look, it's it's an interesting debate, I suppose. But I, I think what, like, I, I think what we, the biggest issue we have in judging right now is, we need to educate people on judging, the improvements of judging, and why judges are scoring fights in certain ways. And if we could do that, if everyone could read the criteria even, you saw Michael Bisping doing it in his podcast the other day, and he came out and he um, he uh, on the commentary the next week, and he was fantastic. He was talking about judging nonstop, and all he did was read the, the criteria, three pages and a paragraph. And that really is sometimes all it takes, to be honest. So uh, that would be that would be the first thing for me. If that doesn't work, then we can talk about something else. I'd certainly recommend people watch your YouTube video where you break down that criteria. And, and the reason why I wanted to you know, bring up the half-point must system is because, and I was listening to Big John McCarthy on his podcast talk about it as well, had three judges all given Israel, or two judges given Israel all three of the first rounds, which again were super close mm-hmm. rounds, because Jan won those last two rounds with such uh, authority, I feel like the MMA world would have gone up in flames. But I don't feel like giving yeah. those first three rounds to Israel would have been that egregious. Would you agree with that? Because... Again, I, I bring mm-hmm. up Holloway versus Volkanovski. Had that fight gone like this one, where those last two rounds were very dominant for Holloway, and the judges gave those first three to Volkanovski, just kind of the reverse of what actually happened in that fight, I think people would have rioted. Uh, so that, yeah. that's why I, I think a half-point system adds a little bit more clarity to it. Do you know, that's why you need the best judges in the world. Because some fights are like that. You know, and when uh, when a fight is scored round by round, which if you can come up with a better system of not scoring fights round by round, I'm ready to hear it. I haven't heard one so far. I don't think there is a better system, to be honest. But if there is, I'm willing to hear it. Probably but when you score it that way, <laughs> not really, no. But like when you score it that way, you're always going to have this issue because someone will come out of the gate and they'll destroy someone for the first two rounds and then they'll wilt or get tired and maybe you know lose the the last three more closely and that's a problem you're always going to have that's why you need the best judges in the world that's why you need to look at the second round in this and say what is the difference between adesanya winning this round and blahovich winning this round and you look at your criteria and the criteria says the first prioritized criteria is the more immediately impactful shots and to me blahovich did in, in watching back in all three of these rounds, definitely the second one, uh, argue you could argue the first and the third as well, very close. But it, that is the difference. The difference between the good judges and the the best judges in the world is they will get those ones right time after time after time. And I speak about it on the podcast every week. I look at the specific judges. I've spoken to the judges, and I've even been on the judging call. I know California do the judging call. I've been on that, and they, they speak about it on that as well. The best judges in the world are getting those right. And I think, you know, we, we, we've seen recently, you know, we've uh, flown out uh, Mark Goddard to um, to America to, to uh, referee fights. We now have Jason Herzog doing lots of fights. The best, the two best referees in the world for me. I think Keith Peterson is a fantastic referee. We have some of the best referees. Herb Dean, unfortunately, not one of those, and he's still doing it. But that's another argument. You I mean suppose. he's not the I gold think we standard, need to do the same Sean? Thing. I thought he was the gold standard. Everybody <laughs> calls Herb the gold standard. I got it. 
I'm glad it's not just me anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's, but that's what we need to do with judges. We need to find the best judges in the world. So we've judges. I think the UK judges are absolutely fantastic because they've come up with K drawers. They've come up with KSW. They're doing the the uh, the shows over in Abu Dhabi and Australia and all of those. There's some really really good judges coming up there and put them together with the ones in America and maybe some judges from Poland and from Germany or wherever else it might be or from Australia as well. Get the best judges in the world and get them for the biggest fights and that's how we have the best uh, results coming from these fights and that's how we have the most accurate ones and those are the people like we, people are always talking about verdict MMA you know and the, you know the the crowds and everyone who is watching the fight judging them. I'd rather have one good judge judge a fight and get the winner than a thousand people who've never read the criteria and having the clue so that's my take on it anyway mm-hmm. i find though that with with the verdict you see how educated a lot of these fans are because a lot of the times when there is a dissenting judge it seems like verdicts are on the right side <laughs> i don't know i mean i i like the app i think it's great and i think it's great just for entertainment purposes i don't think that they're going to implement verdict scoring as an official scorecard but i think that yeah but when, when you're taking PFL are bring putting it on screen, aren't they? Like that's to screen, me yeah. is but complete, again, that's entertainment. Yeah, that's complete misinformation. Yeah, but it's complete misinformation going on the screen. That's what you don't want when you're talking about judging, because people are going to get mad and they're going to send you abusive tweets because it'll come up at the end of one round where someone has laid on top of someone for four and a half minutes and lost the round because they haven't landed a single strike or gone for a submission. And people on this verdict MMA thing who've never read the criteria are going to say 10-9 to that guy who was on top. You know, and then that's that's what creates these problems, and that's what we think we need to avoid. Like we need, we you know we need the judges scoring the fights. We need the judges talking about the fights, or people who are educated on the scoring system. I know a lot more uh, MMA media are getting more uh, in tune with it, and even the commentators as well. DC has spoken to judges. I know that for a fact. As I said about Bisping reading the criteria, I know Dan Hardy's gone now, but he's absolutely fantastic uh, at it as well. So it, it it's improving slowly but surely. But uh, yeah, I don't like. I think 10,000 or a million uneducated voices isn't worth as much in MMA scoring as one truly educated voice is. All right, Sean. Well, I'm really glad I had you on. I, like I said, I thought when I saw what happened Saturday and I saw people, you know, the mob coming after me, I thought this is, maybe I can use this as a teachable moment. Go back to the drawing board, read the criteria, watch the fight over. And even when I watched it again, I, I, I still thought that at, at the very least the first and third round were, were very, very close. The first round I thought Israel mm-hmm. had won. The third round, very close. And the second round I thought was, was closer than I think a lot of people thought it was as well. But, uh, you know, having, having listened to you and having you break it down for me is, of, of course, very helpful. And uh, the whole purpose of this for me is, you know, it's a fact-finding mission. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you were able to help me find those facts. No matter any time. And, uh, like, I'm, I'm not just coming up with these facts either. I, I'm very lucky that uh, that Paddy Pinder, Julian Rossify, which I mentioned earlier, I shat on the judges in that. I, I was like, the judges are terrible. This is wrong. And then a couple of judges reached out to me and we spoke about it. And I've spoken to them ever since. That was five or six years ago. And I think that's how you learn. And I know I'm I'm lucky. I may be privileged that I have someone like that who's willing to, like, Ben Carter is great. I've had him on the podcast a few times. To me, he's the best judge in the world. He's absolutely fantastic. And other people as well. Some of the American judges I've been speaking to, they're, you know, they're really good and they're willing to help people learn. And uh, I, I'm lucky that I've, I haven't just kind of licked it up and, and done it like that. So it's been years of learning from those people. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, I think all I want to do is when I talk about judging all the time is kind of help people learn and make it better for everyone. Because I actually think the judges 
get a very raw deal and they're very, very good. And people, you know, it's easy to put out a tweet and say that was terrible judging or what's that guy looking at, which, you know, me and you probably have both done. Uh, and, you know, for the, the, the judges are kind of nameless, faceless people at sometimes uh, a lot of the time. But um, I try to help in, in that. And look, if they're bad, they're bad. But the vast majority of judging these days from someone who has studied judging for years and years now is very, very good, in my opinion. All right, Sean. Well, people can find your work at severemma.com. Is that the correct website? I want to make sure I get that right. That's it, yeah. Severemma.com. And, of course, you can support Sean via Patreon. That's uh, how Sean is able to take the time to be as up-to-date on judging uh, as possible, provides great interviews, uh, great insights. So uh, if, if you do have some uh, extra money as part of your uh, budget on a monthly basis, I would recommend uh, throwing it Sean's way. Appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and uh, hope to speak with you again. Uh, maybe, maybe not about judging-related things. Maybe we can just shoot the breeze sometime. That would be a that would be great as well because uh, I know you've become the judging guy, and I, I, we need to get you out of that box. <laughs> I like it. I, I'm I'm an all-rounder. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, can, I can do it all. So I, I'd love to be on any time, whether it's judging or not judging. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. A big thank you to all of our guests this week: Leon Edwards, Bilal Muhammad. Charles Jordan, Misha Zirkinov, Sean Sheehan. I appreciate all of them for spending some time with me this week uh, as we look ahead to this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Uh, a lot of big stakes fights, in, uh, especially in the welterweight division with that main event. Very excited for that. And also excited to see how the Canadians do. I think that uh, you've got three of the best Canadians in the UFC on one single card, which makes it very much worth watching if you are north of the border. And uh, in Canada. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And as always, I encourage you to go on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Write some kind words about the show. It certainly helps us. And we don't ask for anything else in return for all of this wonderful content on a weekly basis. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, check out our podcast feed tomorrow. Myself and Joe Valtellini uh, with a breakdown of UFC 259 as well as a preview of this card uh, headlined by Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.